guys, welcome to another episode of the Dirty Giants podcast. Before we start, I want to thank one of our sponsors, Scout to Hunt, the completely free offline GPS mapping app. Alright guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Dirty Giants podcast. I'm really excited about this episode. We got Hunter Weems, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, Arizona deer in particular, the the Kayabab unit. So hunters help kill tons of big bucks, and um, I I actually got to meet him last year on the strip. He's just a really really good guy, really good hunter. So um, Hunter, um, if you kind of wanted to start out by just telling us how you got into hunting and how how that passion kind of started to grow. Yeah. Well, first off, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's kind of funny. Tyler did a podcast with you about his elk and some of his hunts. And then I put it all together and realized that you and I were technically like hunting against each other last year. So it's funny, small world like that. But, yeah. Yeah. I, I've been uh, hunting in Arizona my entire life. My dad was a guide, he's still a guide. He's been there for 30 plus years. So the hunting and guiding thing was never really like a foreign world to me. Um, then obviously when I turned 18, I started guiding um for a, a small town guy here in Flagstaff and wanted to bump it up to the next level and I got in with A3 in 2014 I think and ever since then just just keep doing as much as I possibly can gee so what kind of like so you said your dad was into it a bunch but what kind of like started your passion for for big mule deer cuz it looks like you've been been around quite a few just giant bucks hunting with my dad for sure um my dad he i think he's probably guided the kaibab late season hunt i would i would guess the last 25 years in a row so he is definitely no stranger to it and when i was a kid we'd go up on scouting trips and looking at big deer and tracking deer and looking at the country it just made me fall in love with it and then once i got to kind of make it a profession it just it exploded and it turned into something that honestly I don't think I could live without doing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, with the success that you've had, it, <laughs> it, that'd be hard not to. So, so anyways, I kind of wanted to start um, by just going through the Kayabab units and going through the hunts on the Kayabab. Um, obviously, we know there's the, the fire on the Kayabab right now, so... I think me and a lot of the listeners are curious of how you think that might affect certain hunts. And um, so. for right now, I'm looking at the uh, the incident web on the government website on the fire, and I was up there when it started, so kind of got to see the the path it was taking. But looking at it right now, it's touched into 12B just a touch, um, but most of it, in fact, all of it is in 12A West. Um, Looking at it, it's going to definitely change things for the early season hunt just because I think the deer are going to have to move out of there, obviously, uh -huh. on the 12A West side. So the archery hunt and the early rifle are going to be interesting, um, but I don't think it's going to be – once it gets north of Jacobs Lake, there's the deer density there during the summer is not near as high. So I don't think it will affect it there as much. I think when it comes to the late season hunts, when the deer start pushing off the top of the Kaibab, that uh, – it's going to make it 
a better hunt for the late season because you'll be able to glass. And I, I truly think the early rifle hunt will be really good too because a lot of that country is big, tall pine trees that you can't really glass in. So I think now it's going to open it up to where uh, it's going to be pretty beneficial. I think the 12A east side is going to be even better than it has been in the past. And a lot of guys may argue with me, but I think, in my personal opinion, my favorites are 12A west, 12B, and then 12A east. But looking at what that fire did and how it moved, I think that it's going to make 12A east even better because I think a lot of those deer had to go there to get out of the fire. Okay, so it's going to kind of congregate yeah. those deer and the 12A east side. Right. That's what, that's my guess. And, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll find out here once we get our first batch of trail cameras checked. But um, yeah. as far as 12B goes, I can see some deer pushing off the 12A west side into 12B early. Um, typically, they don't do that till like, late October, in my opinion, because um, 12B is kind of more of a migratory hunt. You get all those deer coming out of the Pontagon in Utah, coming down to winter and right down here. So I don't think 12B is going to be affected near as much as 12A West is. That's definitely going to be where the most change is going to happen. Um, and it's just going to be, I mean, we've had cameras up there year-round, even when they got snow all over the land, you know. It's going to be interesting to see what cameras got burnt up and um, what gets pushed into new areas. And we'll definitely have to make our scouting efforts more intense um, this year which is, you know, that's part of the program. But, yeah, just seeing how that fire changes everything, we're going to have to probably come at it from a different, you know, a different angle um, to make sure that we're still successful when the hunt starts. So what what do you think about, like, the the 12A and, and B, uh, well, say just the archery hunt on the Kayabab? Do you think I, that's going to congregate a lot of the hunters as well? Or Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you uh, if you've ever been up to the Kaibab on the archery hunt, you know the burn obviously, and the burn is like a racetrack. Um, it's no stranger for us, or no strange thing for us to see kids in lawn chairs in the bed of the truck with an arrow <laughs> knock riding around. I mean, so I, I think it's going to make that it's going to increase the area that they can do that in. Um, the road hunting thing up there is like. That's the name of the game on the archery kaibab. Um, we do a lot of ambush style hunting over water and things like that. So we try to, we get away from the people as much as possible. But this is either going to go one of two ways. It's going to congregate everybody out of this new burn, or it's going to push everybody into it and or spread everybody out across the old burn and the new burn if we can get some moisture and make some kind of foliage for those deer to eat in the new burn. But if that, you know, if it's like scorched earth out there, I, uh, I think everybody's going to be even more congregated than usual. And I'd say most people hunt 12A west on that. So uh -huh. being that a lot of deer should go to the east side, it's my guess, then it might spread them out even more. So it'll be interesting to see. I don't think that there's like a cut and dry way to think about how people are going to act or the deer are going to act yet. Yeah. No, that, that's some good intel right there, though. So one thing I kind of wanted to do is go through each unit and kind of ask you what might be like realistic expectations on that unit as far as like trophy potential. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe like as far as we'll just start with the, the Kaibab archery hunt. 
are you hunting like obviously there's exceptions like uh, there's big bucks killed there every year but what would be like a realistic goal for a average hunter on that unit if if you're somebody that can shoot and you have a little bit of a killer instinct I would go up there with a 170 plus mentality and know that you will for sure have an opportunity to 170 plus buck and if you went up saying I'm going to shoot 190 plus you're, you're going to have fewer of those opportunities but they are there um you know for just somebody that wants to go up and drive around with their kids and their family in the car or something like that i think a you know a 160 plus expectation is something that you're probably gonna if you're not shooting well you're probably gonna need more arrows by the end of the first weekend so (laughs) there's there's a million deer up there you know so there's always opportunity but if i've had to tag two of the last four years i think and every time that I've gone up there, I've set my sights on 170 plus, and I don't know that I've shot at bucks that were under 160 ever. And I've, I mean, I'm, I've had arrows driven up from Flagstaff because I have done some chunking into the Kaibab soil up there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds fun. So that's mostly like you were talking about. The, the main way to hunt that is you're mainly just road hunting or sitting water because a lot of the units so thick up there. Yeah. I mean, that's 90% of the people are going to be in their truck. And if you want to, we've done it before where you just cruise as much country as possible, glassing the parts that you know you can spot and stock in. Um, in the last couple of years, um, like last year, I believe it last, last year, um, one of our guides, Josh Wilson, also had the tag. And in a, after our clients had left, we uh, went with Josh, Garrett Smith, and I, and we glassed for him, and he, he shot a handful of times spotting stock. Um, ended up killing a really nice buck on, like, the 13th day or something that we were there. But the spotting stock is definitely an option, but it's, it's easier to just go gas and break around the Kaibab all day long, you know, Kaibab creep them. But the spot and stock option is definitely there. It lets you be a little bit more selective of what you're going after. Um, yeah. So, I mean, either way it's going to be effective. But if you ask me, I'd rather spot and stock any day of the week than sit in a blind or drive around. Right. <laughs> so let's move on to the 12A East. Um, so the let's start with the early rifle on that unit. Um, but obviously we talked a little bit before but is that is that um like a migratory hunt or what what can you expect on that unit on that the hunt? deer are there year round um on on all these on 12a west and 12a east you know the kaibab like a big ridge yeah summer on top and in the winter they pile off the side so the late hunts are migratory but the early hunts they're starting to get moving that way um, on that hunt, I would have the same expectation for myself, a 170 plus, but it would, it would be like a 170 at the end of the hunt kind of thing. There's bucks. Last year, one of our hunters, he was hunting with James Vine and uh, Tyler Backus. He shot a 208 non-typical, and it had the, like three or four drop times. I mean, just one of the wickedest deer I've seen come off the Kaibab in a long time. So there's, I mean, there's bucks like that um, to be had on every hunt up there. 
but again on that early hunt I would set my sights at 170 plus and it would have to be a solid solid 170 in the first five days okay so what about the late rifle hunt on that unit on the 12A East late rifle up there I would be hard-pressed to shoot anything less than a solid 90s buck um, 200 inches are they're not common, you know, up there on the Kaibab on the late hunts, but they're there. And you do enough legwork and scouting, and you're going to find a couple of them no matter what side of the mountain you're on. So I would go into that hunt thinking 190-plus with a very, very real chance at something over 200. Um, you know, if you go up there and say 200 or bust, there's a good chance you're coming home with a buck regardless. So if that's, that's a true trophy hunt. Um, you can be selective. It's a 10-day hunt. You can, I mean, you can pass a lot of deer. And luckily on the east side, there's a lot less tags than the west side and on B. So you can truly focus and a lot of times leave a buck for a couple of days as like your back pocket kind of thing and come back and kill him in the end of the hunt if you needed to. Okay, that makes sense. So that's like, you're, you just got that tag, you're pretty stoked. Oh, yeah. Any of the late hunts, I would just be yeah. jumping up and down. <laughs> so what about 12a west I'm, I'm sure it's pretty similar on the early hunt on the early rifle and then the late rifle there's a little bit increase in tag numbers is that right. kind of the same expectations of on that hunt though personally so it's kind of like i was saying it's like you can ask somebody if they like Dodge or Chevy, and they're going to tell you <laughs> they like East or West better. Um, right. I personally like the West side. I know the West side better. There's guys that work for us at A3 that know the East side better than I will ever know it. You know what I mean? Um, but to me, 12A West is the best Kaibab unit. Um, on that early rifle hunt, I would be thinking 180-plus. That was our goal last year on the early hunts was we're shooting 180-plus bucks. Um, we did kill a 198 on it, so the big bucks are there. We, Tyler Mott actually had a had a buck. He was going to check some cameras, and he sees a guy standing, you know, 100 yards off the road, and his buddies walk up to him, and there's this buck laying there dead. You know, they had obviously just shot it, and it was every bit of 225. I mean, just freak <laughs> big, you know. And uh, so that was – he was 10 minutes late to being able to – have his hunter shoot at that buck you know um, but on that early rifle hunt we wounded two deer that were over 200 and we missed one or two more that were definitely over 200 so I would go into that hunt thinking 180 plus again with a very real expect or expectation that you have a chance at something bigger um, as far as the late hunt goes to me that's a 195 plus kind of deal um, 200 just because of the scouting efforts and how we've got to really intimately know that unit over the years, our team of guys, uh, that's to me, if you came into my camp and said, I want 200 or bust, I'd think right on, let's go get it done, and we'd, we'd do it. Jeez. Yeah, so, and you have the bucks to back that off, back that up. Um, you, I wanted to, you to tell the story about the, it's kind of like the dropper main beam buck, um, that I think Ben killed. Uh, uh -huh. Let's hear the story on that just to kind of break it up. That <laughs> That's a big deer. Yeah, Ben, uh, ben 
called and he's like, you know, I, I'm stressed on time. My son has a late keys nail tag bucks with you. You know, I, I just, it's kind of a cool deal. His son had a, I think a Colorado tag, if I remember right. And he said, Dad, you drew a once-in-a-lifetime Arizona deer tag. I'm going to give my Colorado tag back so you can hunt your tag and the dates won't conflict. So, oh, cool, man. Cool That's on good Connor. Yeah, and uh, in return, Ben had actually drawn the uh, the late-season elk hunt, so he gave his son that tag and uh, oh, okay. then hunted his deer tag. So, anyways, we had the, the buck that we ended up killing, we had had trail cam pictures of him and seen him for the last three years um and he was best we could get him was like a 205 kind of deer um which was obviously something that we wanted to kill but we had had other bucks found that were bigger so we we always just hunt the biggest that we can find you know so uh-huh. we he was like our back burner buck so last year i don't remember seeing him last year so we had him the two previous years and then uh just doing scouting found him on camera um on the week before the hunt started and the day before the hunt we got you know three inches of snow just a nice dusting um and ben his son his dad and i went out and looking for that buck and we're looking at some other deer and his dad goes hey isn't that the buck we're looking for and the buck comes walking by us at like 200 yards (laughs) so we got some unbelievable footage of him um you know like I posted on my Instagram a handful of times because it still just gets me all jacked up. Um, so we were dead set, like, we're going to hunt this deer until we know that he's dead. If somebody else kills him, they kill him, but we're going to hunt him. Um, so opening day, we had uh, me and Chad, George Garcia, uh, Jay Lopeman. We were all, like, that, that was the biggest deer we had found. So we were all dead set, like, one of us needs to get this thing dead. So we're all pounding it trying to find that buck and I mean we were not having any luck at all and uh so we went check some other areas thinking he might have moved or something we had no idea because when we had seen him the day before he was by himself so we're just pounding through country and um a doe runs across in front of us at like 80 yards and stops and uh I look at Ben and I'm like that doe's looking you know back behind her and Ben goes, well, I see another deer. So we dropped to our knees and we're looking through the trees. The deer's walking away and he's got that big handlebar looking flyer on his left side. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Ben, that's him. Find a way to shoot him. So I'm (laughs) just sitting there on my butt on the glass, you know, trying to, I'm just trying to watch this whole thing go down, maybe see which way he goes if he runs. And the buck stood real hard quartered away to us for like, I bet it seemed like 30 minutes, but it was probably only 30 seconds. And Ben was moving around, just walking real slow back and forth through this juniper tree, trying to get a lane. And he's like, I can't, you know, I can't see him. And so I was telling him, go further left. So he goes further left, hits the knee, and the buck starts turning the walk. And he shot, and that buck didn't take a step. I mean, he was dead right there. Oh, so, I mean, it, it went down like textbook, you know. Um, kind of sort of a lucky deal we knew the buck was there we knew kind of his one mile range but to just walk into him like that was like nobody expected it we were going back to the truck so we could go get gas at camp you know and uh, it just it worked out for ben and seeing him and his dad and his son all there it made the experience so much more 
Were uh, they all there when when he shot it? Were they all like? Yeah, they were just they were just behind us. But Ben and I were in front. When we saw the deer, everybody just yeah. hit the brakes and <laughs> waited to see what was happening. And then when he yeah. shot, they came running up and turned around like, "What was it?" And we're like, "That's our buck." You know, <laughs> so it was it was super super cool to have them all there for it. Jeez, and that's such a cool deer. What did he like? Did you guys ever like? tape him out at all yeah we uh we taped him and he was 215 on the button he uh actually ben he's an auctioneer so i i don't know if i posted it but i'll have to post the video he gives a little you know can i get a one 175 222 give me 10 and then he goes (laughs) the you know auctioning up he he sells him at 215 so it was i mean we were all just rolling (laughs) laughing (laughs) that's funny that's such a cool deer too. Like, just has those floating main beams, some extras, a couple inlines. Like, you can't ask for more than that. Yep. It's that sweet. Back. It was so cool. So, let's get back to um, the units. Um, so, what do you think about um, twelve? We'll, we'll let's start with twelve B West. Um, um, I really hunt in West. Mm-hmm. The early hunt is tough because, like we were talking, it's uh, it's a migratory unit. So you have resident deer, but not as many of them as on 12A West and 12A East. So that's the only, I guess, challenge on that hunt um, that you're you don't have a, as many deer to pick through. Last year we missed a buck there that we figured was in the low 200s, like 205-ish, on that early hunt. Just oh, really? Old, old buck. Um, missed him, and he ended up getting killed later in the hunt, uh, or actually on the late rifle hunt, I think. Um, and he was like 208 or something. Um, so there's big deer to be had on that early hunt, but it's probably my least favorite early hunt, I would think. Yeah. Um, the late, the late hunt that, was awesome. I've been on that 12B West early hunt a few times, and it kind of sucks. Like, Okay, I'm glad that you agree. It's not <laughs> in the park. Yeah, you think yeah, you think you got good tag because you got 12 B West, but <laughs> man, some yeah, some years that hunt just like you might as well. I don't know, it, it's hard. <laughs> yep, that's a fact. So I kind of cut you off. Sorry. So the 12 B West late hunt, that's a little different. Yeah, B West late, I really like. Um, last time I did that hunt with my dad, we had found a buck we thought was like a 205 kind of deer. Um, he had a hunter and I had a hunter. This was, oh man, this was like 2015 or something. And um, we saw him three weeks before the hunt with does. And we were like, yeah, count on never seeing him again. And then the week before the hunt, he walked, I swear he walked across the sage, same sagebrush with those does. And so it was it was Thursday before the hunt started. My dad went to go, you know, keep tabs on him, and I just went glassing, you know, because out there you never know what you're going to find. You can have a buck come off 13A. You can have a buck come off the peri- or the uh, Pontagon. Never know. So I sit down on the edge of this bluff to glass, and this deer walks out from under me, and I I didn't know what to do. At the time, it was the biggest deer I'd ever seen in my life. And I got some video of him, and he's he's running. He obvi- I obviously bumped him, but he's running, and I got pretty pretty solid video of him. And uh, I called my dad, and I said, "Hey, 
we're hunting this buck called Nacho in the morning. He's like, what the hell? What do you mean, Nacho? And I said, well, when I sat down, I had a bag of nachos with me and, like, nacho cheese Doritos, so I'm calling him Nacho. And that's what me and my hunter at, at that year was, his name was Lonnie. I said, me and Lonnie are going back there. He said, well, how big? And I told him 240. And he's like, okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> and so I come back to camp, and I show him the video, and he's like, son of a gun, 240. So we, I mean, I was like dead set. We're killing him. So opening morning, we're pounding through that country, and uh, I see a group of deer coming from water to us, and here's Nacho. And so uh, my hunter is from Pennsylvania, and he's like, I'm really, really not comfortable past like three, 400 yards, so I'd really like to get close. So we made the mad dash across the stage. We're trying to cut him off, and this guy's rolling down the road, and his, you know, his coffee hadn't even got cold from camp yet. And uh, that window rolled down, and he blew him away. Right no. now, we were 500 yards from the deer. We were, we were getting to where we were thinking we might be able to shoot. And uh, he blew him over right in front of us. And no. We, you know, we, oh, we were heartbroken. So <laughs> I said, look, they're going to take an hour plus taking pictures and stuff of this buck. Let's just keep hunting. So we keep hunting. We pass a couple bucks, like 180 kind of deer. And he's like, man, I'm kind of defeated. And honestly, I'd like to go to town and have breakfast. And I said, okay, let's go. So we get to the truck and we're driving down the road. And here's, you know, the guy that shot it. We take a gander at the buck. And he, I think he was 11 by 13 scorable points. And he was, he was 228. And uh, I didn't realize that in the video, he's running away. So I didn't realize he had basically a three by four frame. So oh. I overjudged him, thought he was 240. He was 228 and some change. Still unreal big. Yeah. Um, but For sure. yeah, that, that kind of broke my heart. But that's, that's how that 12B hunt is. I mean, you get deer come out of anywhere um, to come rut there. My dad killed a buck on uh, that 12B hunt with his bow on the late rifle because he's kind of a psycho like that. No. Yeah, and I, if I remember right, Ryan Hatch had pictures of that deer on the Pontagon. Really? So, just to so, show you, man, like, that unit's awesome, and anything can show up at any time. Yeah. Jeez. So is so the 12B, you just get to hit hunt the Perea. That's really the main difference between 12 v west and 12b um have you spent you much to hunt the Perea, that's that's pretty special um some of the biggest deer i've ever seen are up there and uh -huh. there's been some guys getting pretty dang good at killing them up there so there's not quite as many as before um but that you got to go into that if you're going to hunt up there you have to understand that that is going to be a grind you're going to be playing in sand the whole time you're probably going to break your truck or your side by side once and you may go three days without seeing a deer. I went up there scouting um, this last year just to go hang some cameras and look around and uh, glassed up a buck, and I was like, 2.30, done, you know, like at least 2.30, and Ooh. spent the next three days and did not see another deer. Oh, so wow. You, you just got to commit to the grind if you're going to go hunt up there for sure. Have you, have you taken any hunters on the Perea? I have not. No. It's probably pretty Never. tough because, like, on the other side, I mean, you'll probably see 50 bucks a day and then go to the Perea. Like, yeah, you have the chance to see a giant, but you could also not see a deer. 
Right. I mean, I've been up there with my dad when I was younger, when he had clients, and, you know, he'd be tracking bucks and say, hey, jump in the truck, go to the next road, see if that buck has crossed the road, see if his tracks are in it. If not, turn around and come park where you just were, or if you see that he's crossed, get me on the radio and we'll get picked up and we'll just jump to the next road. So, I mean, it's, there was a day where he followed this track for like six miles and in the sand, it feels like 10. So he follows this track with this guy, guys like, Hey man, I am gas. So we had another hunter come in, they switch. That guy follows the deer for like another three, four miles. And it's like this ancient old two by three and they didn't kill it. So you just never, with the tracking deal up there, you never really know what you're going to get. Yeah. Gee, that's crazy, though. That's Yeah, that's kind of the the Perea, like you always just think of as giant bucks, but <laughs> definitely you have to earn bucks out there. Oh, yeah. So I there's another buck we wanted to talk about. It's uh, the typical with the it was floating main beams again. <laughs> Yeah, that, that floating main beam is, like, special to the Kaibab. That's probably my favorite thing about those deer up there. Um, so that, I think that was 2018. Um, Steve was the hunter. He had, you know, we, we do spotters as well, you know. You know about, like, the spotting thing from your tag last year. You know, you got guys up there that are just there to glass. So right. I, was the guide, I was the guide with Steve. We had Colton Choate. Matt Wilson, Josh Wilson, Jake Richardson, Tyler Mott, uh, Garrett Smith. We had a crew up there. I think we had seven guys. Um, so we were, I mean, we had things covered and covered well. Um, so opening or day before opening day in the evening, Steve and I and his buddy, um, we filmed a buck that we thought was like a 210 kind of deer. And he said, that's what I want, like that buck or no buck. So we put our, you know, our plan in for the next day to hunt that buck and no other buck. Had guys spread out all around, never could dig him up for two days. And the evening of the second day, Garrett, uh, he called me and he's like, hey, I, I think I've got him. And it's that dark, dark, you know. And so I said, okay, we'll, we'll surround that area in the morning and hopefully watch that big deer you saw is him or one that's big enough. Um, so we go back in there, nothing. And I think it was the fourth day. Um, we kind of started spreading out cause we didn't, did, we had no other trail cam pictures of the bus. We didn't know if he moved, didn't know what happened. So uh -huh. we start just kind of fanning out and, um, the morning glass goes by and nobody had anything. And Garrett says, Hey, I, I got a buck over here. I don't know if he's big enough, but if you got nothing going on, you should come look. So we said, okay. So we get there and set up on the hill, and we're looking like 900 yards or something at this buck, and he's fighting another buck, and he's rutting does, and it's this floating beam buck. And I said, Steve, what do you think? He's like, man, I, I've never killed one with big back end like that. I, I really like the way he looks. I'm just not sure from this distance. So I said, well, screw it. Let's get closer. So by that time, we had everybody else there. We had um, Josh and Tyler were on one side. All the other crew were with Garrett, and so we go sneaking in, and we're 220 yards from him. And uh, Steve and his buddy sat down and took a breather. I snuck up, got video of him, and I walked back, and I said, you know, you, you make this decision, but 
we've got like five days left, and I know we can do better than this buck, um, especially with the crew of guys. I don't know another group of guys that are as savage at killing mule deer on the Kaibab as the crew that we have, you know? So yeah. I'm like, man, we, I, I know we can do better, but the tag does not say Hunter Weems on it. You know, this, this is your choice. And he said, Hunter, I'm going to shoot him. I said, okay, I'm just telling you we can do better, but it's your tag, so I'm going to let you make this decision. And he's like, son, just step on out of my way. I said, yes, sir. And after we walked up there, I put the phone scope on him, and we uh, we laid him over right there. He broke – He I posted the video, and he did a little backflip when we shot him, and he broke off like four inches of his beam. He's still like a – 192 and change big deer you know but knowing that we had that other buck was like man I, it's hard to leave a giant like that and shoot this buck but he was i mean he was dead set and he was super happy and come to find out um somebody else had shot the big buck that we were trying to kill like that morning so oh, really? out, I mean, we would have been if we didn't shoot that buck that day we would have been essentially hunting a ghost or, until we found another buck that you know, we liked or that was big enough. So yeah. It's kind of a blessing in disguise, but the buck ended up going like 213 or something. So uh, it was kind of made you sick a little bit, but Steve was very happy with his buck. And uh, I mean, having that group of guys in camp, like you can't ask for something better than that, especially when you've got a tag. I think Steve waited like 20 something years for it. So it was, it was his tag of a lifetime. And to have that group there, like, it didn't matter if I didn't see a deer in the morning. I knew that one of us was going to turn something up that was that was big enough. Yeah, you definitely have something to hunt with that group of guys. Yeah. Jeez. Well, you've definitely been around some giant bucks. Um, so I posted on Instagram um, the the chance for some people to ask you some questions. Do you mind if I just go through those and have you answer them? Sure. Um, so the first one um, says, how's the, the hunt going for the auction tag hunters or super raffle winners so far? Well, right now, the, nothing's quite grown out enough to know if, uh, I mean, we know what deer are going to be big, and we have all of our data from last year of what got through the hunts. So as of now, and same thing for elk. Elk, we've got a good idea how things are shaping up. Um, we've got our target bulls already, so we'll be we'll be getting after it here. Usually we hunt like towards the end of July, um, so we'll be getting after it here in a bit. But everything so far has been looking really good. The antler growth awesome across the board. Um, Deer-wise, though, we're just kind of waiting for them to grow out a little bit and see what what exactly they're going to be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the next question is, we kind of covered this already, but uh, migrations for 12A East and West, um, I don't know if that's talking about, like, the time period or... Um, well, they, in my opinion, they move, like, into October is when they really start. I mean, you'll see some bucks when they shed their velvet, they start moving. Um, but usually end of October is when they start going. It's really weather-dependent, too. It can be zero degrees on top of the highway, you know, on to the north rim. Uh-huh. But that doesn't mean the deer are going to move. They need snow to get them to push hard. Um, and, you okay. know, I'll pull up my, my flatline map that I had last year for reference. Um, 
one of these bucks that we killed on the late rifle hunt, let me pull up the, the pin, uh-huh. from where we hunted him on the early rifle hunt, it's 15.4 miles in a straight line to where we killed him on the late rifle. Jeez. And another buck was 10.7 miles in a straight line. So, I mean, they're moving a long way. Some of them, um, I, I, the buck that we were just talking about uh, with Steve, the buck that we were hunting, um, there's a guy on Instagram. His name's Ryan Tuttle. The guy's like a trail camera god, I swear. Anyways, he had a picture of that deer like two days before we had our first picture of it in the pine trees. So he moved <laughs> from pine trees to sage in two days. And two days. Miles, I don't know where his, his camera was, obviously, but that far in two days, I mean, they when they decide they're going and they're going to find a girlfriend, those boys are gone. <laughs> They're going quick. Yeah, it's the same for the east side. I mean, we'll see. I think the farthest we've ever seen deer go was from 12A east into 12B, and it was about 30 miles. Jeez, that's crazy. So some of those deer go a long ways. So here's the... Don't move at all. (laughs) That's got to be frustrating trying to figure that out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. so the last question, um, I, just uh, when scouting a new area, how much time do you put into a spot before moving on? Um, it depends. Um, I, I like to try to look at country that I know is going to be productive. Um, so if I find an area that has the same, you know, trees and the same look of the land that's done well for me, I'll try to stick to something like that. But if I go into a completely new area and I don't do well in two days, then, I mean, if you're glassing well and effectively and looking in the right times, the right places and things like that, then in two days you ought to see something that's, you know, worth keeping your interest. I mean, I say that and then you can go to the pre and not see a deer for four days, but (laughs) yeah, but I mean, if you're looking for elk or coos deer or even mule deer, if you're getting, you know, getting up in your elevation, getting, you know, the eye in the sky and uh, glassing in the effective times of the day, checking for track and stuff, if you're, uh, if you're not seeing the track on the water and things like that, then I'd keep moving. I mean, when we start our, our winter scouting for the Kaibab, we'll, the first thing we're going to do is drive every, you know, every water and find out where the deer are. And then adjust our scouting plan there. So if you're not, I mean, if you're not seeing track, then I'd keep on rolling. But if you if you haven't seen what you're kind of looking for in two three days of glassing hard and pounding ground, then I, I would I'd relocate. That's some good advice right there, because yeah, like you said, the tracks don't lie. If you see tracks, you're gonna find deer. If there's not tracks, you're not gonna see deer yeah. for the most part. Yeah. So just a uh, couple questions to end off. Um, so like we've talked about, you have all these experiences and you've, you've helped kill a bunch of deer. What do you feel like kind of sets you apart? Because like kind of hunting against you on the strip, like you definitely know what you're doing. you got your hunters that like you, you help them get on big bucks all the time. Like, what do you feel like sets you apart from an average hunter? Probably just the time. And, and honestly, 
I couldn't, I couldn't look at you and say that I'm better than the next guy. I have been lucky and blessed across the board, and I have had giant deer walk across the road in front of me and that no one's ever seen kind of thing, you know? So I think there's a lot more to it than just me being better than the next. But honestly, the time, um, and there's just like a, a, a problem-solving component to it, too. Like, if I can't find a deer here, kind of like you and I, we're hunting the same area for, like, what, six days or something, and we just, and you and Jeff figured it out, too. You have to come at things a different way and look in a new spot or wonder, okay, maybe this deer is pressured from this, so maybe he's doing that instead. So the time, for sure, um, honestly, quality optics is huge to be able to pick out, you know, an ear flip in the shade or something um but just the time and then that that thought process of if this isn't working what can i do to make this work yeah well i definitely saw that you guys hunt hard you put in your time i mean i i kind of thought maybe that you get that the other hunters would kind of get tired but every morning you guys were there way before sunrise just waiting on it so yeah you definitely yep. put in your time definitely you definitely have it figured out. I mean, your your Instagram page speaks for itself, like just big bucks after big bucks. So, yeah. And you know, I I'll never claim to be the best or anything like that. Honestly, I am. Sur it's about who you surround yourself with. And I have been since the moment I started hunting. I've surrounded myself by the best hunters I know. Um, even some of the guys that don't work for A3 anymore when they did, and I got to hang out with them and learn from them, like, goodness, man, you can learn so much. You, you just feed off each other, you know. Um, so I have been able and very lucky to surround myself with some of the best hunters in the state. And that, I mean, that definitely, you're only as good as the guy next to you, so it definitely helps. Yeah, no, there's a lot of truth to that. So, yeah, but we'll... Thanks again for getting on. I appreciate you. I know it was kind of short notice, but I think that was some really good information about the Kayabab and just hunting big, big deer in general. So appreciate well, I appreciate you having me on. I, I don't mind these podcasts as much as I used to, that's for sure. <laughs> well, you're good at telling stories, so that's good, and you got some great information. So, Well, I appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we'll be hunting next to each other again here in the next couple of years. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Well, hopefully not, because you guys are freaking killers. You'll kill all the big bucks. Well, I tell you what, when I rolled up on the hill the first day down there, I was like, man, who the heck is down here? And then I saw that big old beard flapping in the wind the one day, and I was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I was like, I have some competition, boys. So, I mean, that's what's nice about Arizona. There's other good hunters out here. And it just you just push yourself to be successful. You're, you're nothing without good competition, you know what I mean? So it's fun, especially when there's good dudes like you and Jeff out there that whether you killed the buck or I killed the buck, at the end of the day, we high-fived each other and said congratulations and, you know, moved on. Yeah, yeah, that's funny because that's exactly what we were saying about you guys. We're like, oh, shoot, that's Hunter Weems. <laughs> He's a killer. <laughs> so... I'm the luckiest man I have ever known a lot of days. So there's a lot of truth to that. Pray hard and hopefully it works out. <laughs> Funny.